This is episode number 62. Mm -hmm. So um, I think uh, especially for life science, it's very important to be on LinkedIn. This is important. Um, and maybe also on Facebook, especially for the US market. And um, I think it's, it's always a mix yeah, between uh, LinkedIn, some other social media platforms, but also on YouTube. Yeah, because uh, people consume uh, via different channels. Part three of the year in review recording. It's another one hour and 15 minutes of exciting conversations with speakers from previous podcast episodes and business partners of the hosts. What was hot in 2021 and what do our speakers expect for 2022 are the main questions we discuss in this episode. Here is the third conversation with myself, Christian Soschner, Johannes Sargs, Philipp Heinzel, Stephanie Rössel and Julia Resch. We were talking in this episode about content marketing with a podcast, the life science industry in Austria, content marketing and social media for B2B businesses and the history of the Vienna Stock Exchange. I hope you enjoy the conversations the same way as I did. Enjoy the show. Christian, we haven't spoken about your personal highlights this year yet because, you know, we've had <laughs> me, we've had spoken to Matthias, but what have been your personal highlights actually? This was not this was not agreed before. So <laughs> um, the, my, pers my personal highlights. Um, I had the second year of uh, the opportunity to look inward. So uh, being in Vienna with no travel, which was uh, very amazing. And I used the time to move the podcast project forward. Um, started last year as a, let's say, as a project that I wanted to start to overcome the first lockdown, which I assumed that it will be over after two months. And reality is different now. So we are still um, partially here in Austria on lockdown. And an amazing thing happened. So the podcast project evolved really well and just kept pushing it forward with a lot of help from amazing speakers, especially you, Astrid, were uh, a great help bringing amazing speakers to the podcast, uh, amazing content, and also Matthias. We had the first year in review last year, which went very well. And I was really, I was really, how should I say, pleasantly surprised by the uh, willingness of people to show up uh, online and to share their expertise and their opinion for free with the world, which uh, is great help to encourage collaboration, I think, uh, globally. And after moving forward in summer, I reconsidered the position of the podcast and thought, okay, well, how can we improve that project? And got in touch with uh, an expert in content marketing. She will come online uh, in a couple of minutes, just have, uh, I think, half an hour or so. And we found the Gary Vaynerchuk content strategy and said, okay, I mean, can we make use of that? And can we use it for the podcast? Because we produce a lot of amazing content, a lot of interesting content. We have great speakers. And how can we utilize the process better and uh, help our speakers to reach a larger audience and a more targeted audience? So the holy grail of content marketing, I guess, 
bigger numbers, but more directed. And we started uh, looking into that space uh, on the operation side from, let's say, mid-October, end of October, early November onwards. And I didn't expect immediate um, let's say immediate uh, results. So I thought, okay, maybe in six, 12 months or uh, whenever. And already in December, I think the the first uh, rankings came in from Apple Podcast. And now the podcast is sometimes in the top 10 or top 20 in uh, countries like Austria, Switzerland. Amazingly interesting in Colombia. Uh, also, uh, we were on, uh, I think, in the top 200 in the United Kingdom. And uh, this showed me how important it is today that not only the B2C companies are on social media and are producing content that describes what they are doing. It doesn't necessarily mean needs to be high quality content. Uh, it needs just, uh, as you said, Astrid, it shouldn't be deep fake. It should be showing the reality. And my learning this year was that when we do that, when we show what we are doing, uh, when we talk about what we are doing, we are definitely reaching people also in the B2B space on social media. And this was the big learning I had in 2021. No, it's certainly a great effort. So great what you've built there and congratulations to the great ranking. So that's really amazing. So keep that up. No, no, it's will, really interesting. Sorry. Yes, sir. No, I will, I will definitely do it. I think it's worth uh, moving the project forward. And um, I see a lot of uh, potential that um, we can use this, let's call it podcast platform that we've built uh, in the last two years for different uh, types of users. I mean, um, on one hand, there is the startup scene. We have uh, an audience that is about 40% located in North America. So we have a good outreach and I think connecting also with another communication channel, Europe and the United States could be a great thing. Uh, we can also use it for um, scientists, technicians to also support them bringing their science to a wider uh, wider audience. I also believe that meanwhile, we have not only scientists, investors and entrepreneurs in the audience, which was the original starting point. I also think that or see it, especially on platforms like TikTok uh, or Instagram, that also more and more people get interested in how our drugs develop. Uh, what's happening in the digital space really and uh, wants to hear the experts. And I think it's a great tool for communicating. Absolutely. It's also nice that there are so many different topics that you can tackle, not just like healthcare, such or drug development, but also from investments. I mean, we will have some more investors on today as well who will give us their insight. But I thought it also very interesting that and to hear actually earlier from Sasha about uh, that uh, also in the healthcare space that you can see that a lot of capital is moving into sort of also early stage opportunities and that these levels of investment are actually not uh, sustainable. I mean, it's something that we actually see in the blockchain space as well. That's like crazy rounds, crazy valuations at the moment. You really wonder, you know, where, where that journey goes. How do you feel about this? The, the valuations are poor. When I look at the stock market, the public market, um, Last year in March, there was, or in February, March, there was the expected crash. So due to the lockdown and my first thought or my first emotion was, that's it. <laughs> so we are going downwards <laughs> because the years before 2020, there was always this uh, reset of valuation ghosts uh, looming around somewhere around the corner, corner. And I think every couple of months, somebody said, uh, we will see a big crash soon, but it didn't come. 
all crashes that I experienced uh, since 2008 were more or less over after a couple of weeks. So 2018, for example, I mean, um, betting on chips was logically in 2015, but there's always this chip cycle. And 2018, there were a couple of months crash, and then it was a reversal upwards. I really didn't expect in 2020 that devaluations go up in this direction. Uh, Cafe Woods Arc Fund, for example, had, I think, the best performance uh, of uh, listed ETFs. She had around 150% uptake in one year, which means that also the valuations of the companies went up. Uh, when I look at the Nasdaq or the S&P 500 today, um, all the big corporations like Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, uh, I mean, on one hand, they make up the majority of the S&P 500, meanwhile, and they have valuations north of $1 trillion, $2 trillion, And I think Apple recently sh briefly uh, tackled the $3 trillion mark. Is that sustainable? Um I have no, I have no clear answer to that. Um, on one hand, there should be a crash coming. I mean, when I look at the cycles in the stock market, on the other hand, we have a very unique situation that governments all over the world just are printing money on, they use all possibilities to throw money amongst people. And the logical thing is to take the money invested on the stock market, public market, or in digital assets. Um, when will that change? I really don't see any, uh, let's say, any other option to real estate, to equity investments or investments in digital assets, uh, bonds are dead as long as the interest rates are not going up. And with the combination of inflation, I mean, like the Fed announced a couple of uh, days ago that they will have uh, free steps of increasing the interest rates next year. I mean, when we have 6 to 10% inflation per year and we see uh, half a percentage of uptake, I don't think it will change much. How do you see it, Astrid? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Yeah, difficult question. I mean, we also, I mean... As a fund, you always hope for, you know, a bear market because you have <laughs> more time to actually research projects and valuations mm -hmm. go down and all that. So we would actually hope for um, right, so not not as necessarily a crash, but that, you know, we, we stay, you know, uh, sort of going sideways uh, for a while. That would already be quite helpful in that respect. But um, yeah, as you outlined, I mean, it's it's really difficult to see, you know, where uh, the crash would come and maybe that's but but that's also maybe the reason why um it will crash at some point because uh, a lot of people out there you know are throwing money at assets that they don't understand in the hope also of achieving higher returns i mean stock market is the same like with uh, digital assets you really need to do your 
uh, research well and understand what you're actually investing in, take all primary and secondary information that you get and can get really to make up your mind. And in digital assets, I think it's even more difficult. And we sometimes, when we actually look at the top 20 at the moment, I mean, we, we literally could cry all day long because it's just made up of coins that have been pushed sort of through social media, but uh, most of them don't carry any value, um, which also shows you how um, difficult it is to predict uh, market dynamics at the moment. Yeah, I see, I see a few uh, changes uh, or trends, bigger trends, that uh, create a different reality, I think, that we have now compared to the crash in 1987, for example, or even the crash in 2000. Um, on one hand, it's the retail investors. So when I look at uh, apps like Robinhood, for example, or here in Europe, Flatex, um, there are more people investing in equity and also digital assets than we saw 20, 30 years ago. Um, I think this is one big trend that uh, brings money to the market and also drives the market. And the second one, as I said before, still is um, still is that... I don't see any option for big investors, for funds uh, to go somewhere else than equity investments when they're on the public market already. And of course, there will be uh, at some point in time, a little bit of a shake through of not working business models. Um, but when I look at last year, I think uh, maybe we see in the next decade more micro crashes, but more often so that we see uh, a down, down uh um, a downward spiral of 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% uh, within a couple of hours and then a reversal within a couple of days, and which is very positive, I think, for investors. So as long as you have cash on the side, you can always uh, <laughs> throw in money. Um, but the result for me is um, when I look at uh, young people, I think it really makes sense to look on the equity investment side to learn that very early to become not only uh, health literate, but also financial literate. So I think these are the two main success factors in life. Yeah. By the way, big shout out to Matthias, who is feeding our uh, live audience also with great links here. <laughs> so. I'm not sure if this is also visible at YouTube, but I think like there's a lot of um, topics we're touching here. I'm not so sure if the, um, if the crash is coming, though. I've been actually, while you were discussing, a little bit researching a different sentiment, and according to a few uh, experts, this crash should have already happened. So we are we are overdue <laughs> for a crash, although it's like not not clear um, on uh, if this is really happening. Because as you said the other day, um, it's not so clear how how these events should be linked. I guess we've seen some uh, linkings from from COVID, for example, into um, into Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is, is very much linked to this kind of um. um Big world news more than the stock market is, in my opinion, or at least how, how, how it feels. I'm not a stock market expert, it's just an investor advice, obviously. But uh, interestingly, um, we see um, that there is um, a, an understanding that um, the current way forward is um, not that easy because we see also these terms, we've been talking about them already, I believe, twice uh, today, uh, such as the great resignation or this kind of massive shift we see in the job market. Also, a lot of people are uh, reinventing themselves. This is um, the great reshuffle. So people are reinventing or, and, and, and finding their own entrepreneurship in this in this times of crisis, which is also obviously um, fueled by um, the possibilities um, of all sorts of like mainly web two platforms 
um, we see a big um, uh, increase in um, platforms and, and participation platforms such as Etsy, which is more this kind of platform where you can create mm-hmm. hand like uh, crafted uh, things and then sell them to the a lot of people um, in the US um, at least and, and mainly are um, finding that their talents and um, having um, direct access to a market where they can sell uh, self-produced uh, DIY items. At the same time, um, also the second-hand market is exploding and, and booming. We see this in, in Austria on the example of um, um, Wilhaben, which is a second, um, uh, like a second-hand uh, marketplace. Um, they also, in my opinion, did a very um, um, important move um, to grow um, correctly in the and 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 draw um, precisely in an interesting uh, uh, domain, uh, which is um, fulfillment and delivery. Um, so the actual supply chain was tackled by them rather early. So they also uh, made sure that there is um, um, uh, a payment. Uh, it's called pay delivery, I guess. So, this, so we see all this, um, 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 all these positive sides, but there is also negative sides, of course, according to this. So um, I've recently read a lot of um, information on uh, how much pressure is actually put on the people delivering these goods that people are ordering and, and, and receiving online. So um, there is, of course, um, the massive ongoing debate on if Amazon is um, producing proper um, uh, proper um, systems here that are in place, or if this is an exploitation of users. So in the case, um, there has been a lot of debate also from a, from a perspective of, um, of um, um, yeah, from, from a legal perspective, because um, on the one hand, and there's a lot of people working for Amazon exclusively, and then they are still um, um, so so from a contractual position. This looks also a little bit dodgy. This has been uh, thematized mainly in Germany, where um, there has been a lot of reports uh, like ongoing. So there's all these kind of upsides and downsides to this digitization and to this uh, um, to this crisis. But also at the same time, it's uh, it's an opportunity for a lot of people. And if there's um, um, it's a possibility to change, a lot of people are changing according to these things so um that's Matthias it's good to hear maybe we uh pull in we maybe continue the yes. the uh, the, dis- uh, the conversation about this part uh, later on and let's pull in our next speakers uh and uh focus on what's going on in life science in Vienna um I'm very happy that we have the managing directors of uh, Lisa Vienna here now in the next 15 minutes and learn more about what's going on in Austria welcome to the show Johannes Sarks and Philipp Heinzel Hello, Christian. Uh, thank you for having us. Hello, Astrid and Matthias. Hello, this everyone. Johannes. <laughs> It's good to hear you both. Uh, Johannes, Philip, what's going on in Austria? I heard uh, on LinkedIn that the sector had a tremendous growth in the last three years. Can Could you give us a little bit more insight in that, please? Yeah, so uh, let's first uh, perhaps uh, talk about the macro level and uh, how the sector developed in the um, last three years. Uh, And afterwards, maybe we can talk about more recent events and what happened in 2021. So um, we have around uh, 1,000 companies now in Austria active in biotech, pharma and medical devices. So the life science sector is really one of the key industries in Austria an economy that is um, many cases wrongly known just for tourism and the ski industry, but it's really an industrial um, economy and life sciences play a growing role. 
So these companies uh, generated a turnover of $25 billion, uh, which means a substantial increase of 12% compared to three years ago. And uh, the industry now employs 60,000 people, and uh, which is also 9% more than in 2017. And overall, we uh, recorded 7% more businesses than in 2017. So we can see that the um, the life sciences industry has grown tremendously. And Philip, do you want to, to add to that? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, Johannes just gave you the picture of, of Austria, what how, how the industry developed in, in, in Austria. And if you break it down to Vienna, we see that um, Vienna is hosting actually half of Austria's biotech, pharma, medical device, and digital health companies, um, and as well as the related fields of research, uh, uh, research institutes and, uh, institutes and academic uh, institutes. Um, so it's it's really the country center for, uh, and it's also the, the country center for advanced medicine. So Vienna is, is home to around 600 life science organizations, in, including startups, um, small and medium-sized enterprises, subsidiaries of internationally active large companies, and, and the before-mentioned uh, world-class research facilities with a total of around 41,000 employees. So the importance of, of this sector can be seen through the revenue. So in Austria, the revenue overall is around 25 uh, billion euros. And in Vienna only, it is around 13.3 billion uh, euros. Um, we have uh, over 42,000 students here and uh, per year around 8,000 internationally uh, recognized uh, and specialized publications just in the life sciences only. So the revenues and the number of employees in, in Vienna have, have grown uh, over the last years by around 9%. Uh, 9%. And we see uh, up to 20 newly founded companies annually um, and a lot of large-scale site expansions in Vienna as well. So when we look specifically at the biotechnology and pharma sector, and, and Philip will then um, go into more detail in other sectors, um, we have now 260 companies in Vienna, uh, which are really dedicated to biotech and uh, biotech uh, active pharma companies. So, you know, we are uh, for a long time now in the sector, and uh, I don't think we could have imagined 20 years ago that we will have almost 300 companies just in in Vienna, I, I think we had I think we had three or four or something like yeah. that. It's yeah. exaggerated, so we have a two hundred x. Some kind of exponential growth there. So, what are the main indications they're active in? That's cancer, respiratory diseases, and uh, of course, infectious diseases. Vienna has always always been known for that, and COVID has even um, made this more important. Um, uh, so most of the companies are really in the de development of new drugs or drug components or also solutions uh, to advance or improve drug development or, of course, diagnostics. So COVID was, of course, of great importance in the past two years, and many companies could build on their pipeline they already had in development in the past years. So these companies include, of course, Pyron, Peptico, Biome, or Lexibin, uh, Merino made, um, let's think Tamirna, for example, uh, or Valneva, um, the, the former Intercell, which is also in vaccine development. So 
um, there's a lot of companies uh, developing um, drugs, vaccines, or other components for um, medications against COVID. And but that's not all. We have also companies developing research reagents, which is also a large part of that industry or industry segment. And um, sustainable and circular economy are also gaining importance. And uh, perhaps, Philip, you can um, uh, report about that a little bit. Sure, sure. Um, so in addition to, to biotechnology and, and pharma, Vienna is also home to a strong medical device sector. That is, it's, it's around 250 companies comprising mostly of, of sales and distribution companies. Um, uh, however, we, we see more and more uh, entrepreneurial spirits. We see more and more startups um, that, that address business opportunities like at the interface of IT, uh, material sciences and or the biotechnology. Um, software as a medical device, digital health, and uh, everything that it will speak data sets um, and, and artificial intelligence clearly stands out. So the number of companies in Vienna in, in the field of digital health has tripled within the last uh, six years. So just to give you a few examples uh, of, of, of startups and, and, and success stories for Vienna, so we have Context Flow, we have uh, the Image Biopsy Lab, my sugar that was uh, acquired by Roche a few years ago. There's Scarlet Red and 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 Xund. So, uh, and besides this digital health, um, medtech companies are mostly develop and and produce single device, uh, single use comp uh, sorry, single use devices, um, active implantable devices, and in vitro diagnostics like Technoclone or like in genetics, for example. That's that's amazing uh, to hear, especially the the high number of successes and also the statistics behind it. As you said, Johannes, I mean, uh, twenty years ago, there it was pretty much empty. Also, when I look, for example, at the BioCenter, I remember it from a days at Nabriva in two thousand six, seven, and eight. Uh, yeah. I remember it as a a huge field when nothing was going <laughs> on except uh, intercell. And when I look now at this area. Um, there are many buildings, there are many facilities, many companies, great research, great development going on. Um, and as you mentioned also, and also other speakers, uh, I think we got a great push for scientists and entrepreneurs and investors in the life science area with the pandemic. The question I have to you, what are your expectations for 2022? Will that be a lasting effect or do you see a reversal? Uh, we think it's a lasting effect that will even um, accelerate because um, in maybe looking back at 2021, what we have seen makes us uh, really optimistic um, about the future. So um, let's start with the opening of um, Böhringer Ingelheim's large-scale cell culture plant, an investment of an astonishing 700 million euro that generated 500 new jobs. So they opened only in October. You can only imagine how many talents are attracted by that investment to, to um, Vienna and also the additional effects this, um, this investment uh, brings. There was also the groundbreaking of a new manufacturing facility for Hokipa Pharma, which bring, will bring another 100 top jobs to Vienna in the future, uh, in the upcoming years. And they will manufacture clinical material and uh, commercial products for their uh, immunotherapies there. So that's a, um, a, a big point for the future. And next door to Hukipa, um, also in Aspen, for those who are not uh, familiar with uh, Vienna, Aspen is a new 
um, urban development um, around 10 kilometers outside of the city center, which was developed completely on scratch and um, will host um, many ten thousands of new inhabitants and it's already developed to a large extent. And so um, this concept also includes uh, industrial uh, development and uh, new biotech companies are attracted by that. So apart from Okipa, Biome may also uh, constructed its or is, is contracting constructing its new GMP production there. Um, they have, are renowned uh, for their recombinant proteins, mRNA for vaccines and gene therapies. And uh, I'm not yet finished with the new investments coming up in the future. So uh, Takeda announced in November um, that they will invest 120 million euro in a new R&D center focusing on oh. biologics and gene therapy in, in, in Vienna. So two large companies, worldwide known companies have stepped up their investment in Vienna and other companies are also heavily investing into new manufacturing and research capacity. Also AOP Orphan, for example, opened their new headquarters um, and packaging uh, unit in the city. And also Litos, uh, which is a world leader in ceramic additive manufacturing um, is, is uh, attracted to the city and also Virusur, which is also known by many in the industry, um, uh, has expanded uh, their premises. So um, you can see that there will be thousands of new jobs created in the city in the upcoming years. And um, uh, we always, uh, you and I, we know what other effects those investments have because uh, there will be new entrepreneurs with new ideas. And so we are very optimistic about the future of the life science industry. In the in Vienna. Perhaps, Philip, you, you want to, to add to that? Uh, yeah, so uh, let me just move uh, a bit to the expectations and, and the plans for 2022. So um, uh, there, there are, uh, of course, some, some more uh, projects on, on the rise. So Vienna will become the home of the newly founded uh, Austrian ERT uh, co-location center, ERT Health co-location co center. And, and Lisa Vienna is fully supporting this development. And um, we expect this step to advance the existing support, uh, the existing uh, supporting ecosystem. Um, in addition, we there are big plans uh, for next year reg regarding lab, lab space um, to accommodate scale-ups and, and the innovators for, of tomorrow in Vienna. So the, the business agency and, and the city of Vienna is, is, is a key player in, in this regard. And, and we are scanning uh, we, uh, the, the area constantly. We are trying to observe uh, what developments are, are happening on the private sector, but we're also like working with the city of Vienna and, and trying to push some, some interesting projects um, in, in different uh, districts and areas of Vienna. Um, Besides that, uh, we expect the approval of a new notified body for medical devices and uh, in vitro diagnostics in Vienna by 2022. So, as you know, this is this is a very urgent bottleneck in the European Union. Um, despite the prolonged timelines towards the medical device and in vitro diagnostics regulation. And um, hopefully, uh, there are also some events um, and, and festivals. Uh, planned uh, for, for next year. So That's a good point, Philip. Yeah, we should not miss out so. on that. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully in person, in real life. Yes, 
Absolutely. So uh, there is a big innovation festival uh, planned in Vienna. So so uh, please mark your calendars for the Vienna Up 2022 and, and uh, join our business meeting on, on the 31st of May. Uh, so we will hopefully gather at uh, at Stadtpark at Brüssel and Hübner and um, we will provide some updates on funding and financing opportunities and uh, free uh, consulting services. And there will be plenty of room for gathering, networking and, and partnering. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. And perhaps last but not least, uh, we have we we will have our 20th birthday as Lisa Vienna next year. So um, we're planning for a big party on 27th of September. So everybody saves the date and uh, we uh, keep fingers crossed that we will have, um, yeah, uh, basically a lockdown free uh, um, birthday party uh, on that day and celebrate the successes of the life sciences industry in Vienna in the past 20 years. Thank you very much for this great update. It's good to hear that uh, Vienna and Austria in life science is developing well, not only on the company side as I hear, and I uh, couldn't agree more, Johannes and Philipp, that uh, from every company that started in Vienna, I think uh, at least two other companies evolved, if not five to ten. Right, um, absolutely. So cascading effect and it's really beautiful to see but not only in austria also for example uh crispr therapeutics uh the directors and uh, founders were from austria or worked in austria so also internationally there is a lot of success that started a little bit in vienna and it's also good to hear that on the infrastructure side uh amazing investments happen i think i think this is also a very important part for the industry that we build more and more infrastructure that the entrepreneur scientists who want to become entrepreneurs also have places to work that are easy accessible and uh, i think also there we can't have enough uh philip and johannes i wish you and your teams and your families all the best for 2022 and a merry christmas yeah, thank you also from the whole team of Lisa Vienna to all of you. Merry Christmas and uh, a, a great and successful year to 2022. Thank and you. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. And I hope we can meet in person again next year. So yes. do we. <laughs> Have a great Bye. day. Bye. So it was really great to hear how well um, Vienna evolved. And now we switch the topic a um, little bit from life science development more to the content marketing side. And I welcome on the show Stephanie Rösel from Germany, Berlin. Stephanie, good to see you. Hi, Christian. Good to see you. Stephanie, how was your 2021? 
Mm, well, in 2021, I actually realized, uh, so I'm positioned in content marketing and life science content marketing. And I realized that content marketing is more important uh, than ever before in uh, 2021. And also social media is more important uh, than ever before. And um, yes, yeah, so, so the best example, I think, is uh, one of my life science B2B clients um, where we had a quite successful lead generation campaign. It was a webinar series, um, which we have promoted uh, on LinkedIn and pushed, really pushed through LinkedIn and to newsletter campaigns. And uh, yes, we had 70% uh, attendees and also follow-ups. And this was very, very amazing to see and um, yeah, made me think about the impact of content marketing and also on social media marketing. And um, so what's behind that? And I mean, imagine you become aware um, of a company or, or a person uh, you do not know before. Yeah, for example, you receive an email or you get contacted as part of a matchmaking event. And so what do you do? And maybe, Christian, if you don't mind, uh, you can uh, answer the Go question. Ahead. So what would you do in this case? Um, I think in, in, in the old world, um, it was basically nothing. So before 2020, um, it was just... At the conference, for example, it was just looking at the conference system where a little bit of information was. Um, what I heard also from the listeners to the podcast when I raised that question was uh, that when they get a cold email, for example, in the inbox, um, immediately they jump on Google and enter the name of the company or enter the name of the person and or. And then they actively search for content. So this is the message I got. How do you see it, Stephanie? Yeah, so I absolutely agree. And um, the thing is, um, people start uh, consuming digital content, whether it is on LinkedIn, whether it is on YouTube, or they Google. Yeah, They consume digital content to get a picture of a person or to get a picture of a company or to get a picture of a product. And um, in the same way... Um, they consume digital content to get an answer to a question or to solve a pain point. Yeah. And uh, if we all um, get back into our own minds and observe how we do that, yeah, I think we can all agree we go directly into the World Wide Web for, for finding solutions. And actually, what does this tell us? Yeah. What are the messages behind? And uh, the first message is that, um, yeah, for sure, um, communication behavior has changed, and especially with the pandemic, and also in B2B world and also life science. Yeah, the consumer market um, made the first step in this direction, and B2B and life science moves on. Yeah, and uh, this is the first learning. And the second learning is that, um, so buying decisions or the decision to cooperate. Uh, with a company or to find a partner for co collaborations will in future really uh, very strongly depend on the ident digital identity of a company and the digital presence of a company. Yeah, and this means um, coming back to content marketing um, that content becomes a differentiating asset. And everyone who wants to make business must take this step 
must take this step to stay in the market in the future. And um, so what, what I observe um, when I talk to my clients, so my clients comprise startups, um, small to medium-sized companies, and also some global players as well in life science. And everyone is struggling a bit, yeah, you know, because it's, it's really crazy times at the moment and the evolution is so fast. Market and, and digitalization and communication um, underlies a very strong evolution pressure and everyone's struggling with that. So um, and then they ask, okay, so what shall I do? Is that right? Um, what is the best approach? Um, and it is not so clear uh, to the majority uh, of companies. And that's quite clear because the evolution is so fast. I, I couldn't agree more when I think uh, to my experience with games, uh, being online for players was quite a logical step back in 2008 when the uh, uh, when PlayStation, for example, and also the Xboxes and uh, everything around that went online. and players happily created their digital identities so it uh, was quite easy to reach out to understand uh, who is this person in game what who is this person uh, in real life but when you look at the b2b world basically nobody was on social media nobody was online and i believe that changed what you also said i believe that changed due to the pandemic and uh, when i look now on linkedin the platform you mentioned or on twitter or even on facebook uh, many of the People I know that uh, I remember as uh, being social media agnostic uh, now out of necessity use these tools. So the question that you raise and your clients, uh, I think really is uh, what's the best approach for B2B businesses uh, to deal with the situation? What's your opinion as an expert? So um, I think so. The, the best approach for, for each company or for each product or uh, for, um, for each project It really depends a bit, yeah? You have to figure out each time in you um, depending on uh, products, on what you aim to, yeah? But there are several basics um, to, to consider which move you on the right way. And um, the first thing is um, content, 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 actually, yeah? So um, you need more content. And with content, I mean audio content, video content, and of course, also written content. Yeah, not everyone enjoys audio and video. People also want to read. And the question is, when is content relevant? And this is what also my clients ask me uh, all the time. What is relevant content and how can we, uh, can we make it uh, to produce relevant content? And Relevant content is solving a problem, yeah? And um, solves a problem and brings a benefit. Um, because people do not buy at the very end a product. They buy a solution, yeah? And this solution brings relief because the solution increases something, decreases something. You can save, you can be a better person, you can um, make the world to a better place. Yeah, and this is what what people buy, and at the end they they do not buy a product. So um, if you want to create relevant content, you really need to have a problem solver mindset or a relief bringer mindset. Yeah, relief is maybe a, sounds a little bit better than problem solving, and um, for that, very 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 important point is to discover your target group whatever your target group is, whether it is 
a potential client, whether it is, I don't know, a startup you want to invest in or something like that. Yeah. So discover your target group and unravel the pain points and needs within the target group. And this brings a lot of benefits. Yeah. And then you bring this together with your value proposition, with your product, with your solution, and then you have the sweet spot um, so that your target group cannot resist and thinks, oh my God, that's so great. Um, I'd like to collaborate with this company because they bring a real benefit um, into my business. Yeah. I have a little question because, you know, this sounds so exciting. I think uh, totally right to point out to the audience to say also, you know, you have to always uh, keep your uh, focus on the product. But if you, if, if there was a company, you know, and they sort of tied a budget or time and you say like, what are sort of like the t top two or three platforms that they have to be on? Otherwise, they're basically not existing in the digital world. Mm -hmm. So um, I think uh, especially for life science, it's very important to be on LinkedIn. This is important. Um, and maybe also on Facebook, especially for the US market. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's, it's always a mix yeah, between uh, LinkedIn, some other social media platforms, but also on YouTube. Yeah, because uh, people consume uh, via different channels. And um, I think before setting up a campaign, it's, it's quite worth to, to take, a, take a deep dive into the target group and to ask the question, uh, what is the informational behavior of this target group in order to reach the people on the ways they go? Yeah, And uh, then I'd adapt um, the strategy to these channels. But what is actually for sure is definitely LinkedIn and it's definitely YouTube and also some other uh, platforms which are uh, worth to, um, to play. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're an engineer or a scientist, you love Formula One, you love cycling, you love learning about how new technologies are changing the world around us, then I thought you may want to listen in to my new podcast, the Neil Ashton Podcast. We talk to leading engineers and scientists from around the world, hear about their life stories, hear about new technologies, and hopefully educate you and give you a better sense of how key things like machine learning, artificial intelligence, supercomputing are changing the world around us. If that sounds like it's something you might like, you should come and have a listen. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we see the traction quite uh, quickly on, on our podcast since you help. So it's uh, really worth looking at the direction, as you say. And uh, there's a quick turnover in downloads. So here in the, the podcast, I have another question to you, a final question. Uh, when you look at 2021, what was your personal biggest lesson? Well, um, so my personal biggest lesson was to... Um, yeah, try to cultivate a very, very open uh, mindset <laughs> in order to deal with this uh, very, very fast uh, development in the market. And ideal, ideally also a very balanced mindset, yeah, because it's not easy to go through, uh, through these challenging times. And uh, I decided um, never to stop learning um, for myself and also together with my clients. Yeah, and just... Uh, um, Take, take a step forward, check out new things, be very open-minded, uh, always question the approach, try to figure out what is the best way to achieve your goal. And um, I think in the current times, it's very important to, to be very, very tolerant 
Yeah, to be very tolerant with each other, very honest, and to discuss, of course, um, things and different opinions, but at the same time, accept also that maybe other people have other uh, opinions than I have. And I think with that, that mindset, I will also uh, go into 2022 and yeah, looking forward. <laughs> That are sound words, especially uh, being open-minded and also tolerate other people's opinion um, and have an open conversation about it. Uh, you were talking about 2022. What's your outlook in content market marketing for 2022? Mm -hmm. So um, for 2022, I will definitely um, move forward in this uh, social media direction um, as I'm also involved in the podcast. Yeah, as uh, as I'm, uh, yeah. In, um, covering the content marketing part, I will definitely, um, yeah, try to um, benefit my customers um, with these new approaches and to make them even more successful. And I'm, um, yeah, really looking forward to do more on social media next year because I think this is really the future of marketing. I also believe that and uh, also Matthias and Astrid already pointed out the transition from web 2.0 to web 3.0. What's your opinion in content marketing? What effects will we see, Astrid and Matthias? Excuse me, what effects we see? Uh, we see with the transition from web 2.0 to web 3.0 on the content marketing side. Well, one um, huge aspect was, of course, deplatforming. We have seen this all 20 years some uh, mostly um, people which are not following the canon are uh, like um, e-platforms, so a big challenge uh, that um, a big problem that web uh, projects solve are to make sure that people cannot be um, censored on these platforms. Um, there's a few other aspects uh, in terms of um, social media which are, of course, um, challenging and threatening in my opinion, so we see a lot of um, um, dominance of um, um, conglomerates, like really la large uh, um, providers that are um, harvesting data. So um, profiling is becoming much easier. Credit scoring is becoming much easier. So um, personally, um, I'm not using uh, social media so much anymore. I know the people who even like trash their phones and so on. So I guess like um, especially from a perspective of security um, research and um, and and all that, it becomes a massive um, massive target. So um, social engineering becomes much easier through, through social media. Data is never actually um, um, deleted. We see also um, a lot of the leaks that happened um, in this year have been um, um, due, due to bad um, security measurements um, at large companies. So there's also, of course, uh, Facebook and the likes that use like not not um, particularly uh, well-developed um, 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 software parts. I mean, one aspect can be, and uh, Facebook in this regard is actually, on the other hand, also doing a lot for open source. Um, so the funny thing is, like that, um, um, you cannot think of the of the whole open source industry without these big tech giants. So it's it's a it's in a way an absurd situation we're finding ourselves into. Then on the other hand, this all these other approaches to to conquer this this market dominance um, haven't really played out well. So there's a lot of um, debate. Um, especially in content marketing where um, there's um, individual smaller attempts or like smaller um, um, products, uh, niche products almost um, are booming. Like for example, Substack where also this uh, this whole um, podcast here is also very active. I think Christian has been 
super active there, which I find interesting. So there's a lot of um, a move away from these um, um, platforms, which are um, which have like dubious um, kind of um, content policies, especially in terms of like rights of, of, of content produced there. A um, lot of people don't know that they're um, in a way giving away a lot of this, um, lot of their rights, or like giving away user rights to, to the individual platforms. I find it also from a traditional um, um, perspective to, to ownership a bit complicated. This has been massively debated and discussed from a lot of Web3 projects, although it is definitely the, the, the center of attention right now. So, so specific topics can be um, started and debated uh, publicly, so it's a new public, so to say. So it's definitely relevant. Uh, I just need uh, to emphasize here that I think we need a, a st strong digital literacy in, in using these, these uh, platforms also carefully. Stephanie, thank you very much for giving us more insights into the importance of content marketing also for the P2P companies. Uh, I think it's uh, still good to raise awareness for the importance of that area as I do see many companies uh, that not only are struggling but also still have blind spots there. Stephanie, I wish you and your team all the best for 2022 and uh, Let's continue our collaboration in the next year. You're welcome. Thank you. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So now let's switch around the participants. And our next speaker is from Vienna, Austria, uh, from the stock market in Vienna, which have has an amazing uh, celebration uh, this year with, I think it's the 250th anniversary. Welcome to the show, Julia Resch. Hi, thank you for having me. It has been indeed quite a year to celebrate, wasn't it? it? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, um, let's talk a little bit uh, about the stock market uh, and the celebrations uh, for the Vienna Stock Exchange. Can you give us more details what you did this year? Yes, yeah, so we had also big plans event-wise, but uh, it soon turned out uh, that the pandemic would probably last a bit. And uh, so we switched our formats to, to smaller uh, discussions and uh, we split it up in several uh, discussion panels. So throughout the year, we, we, we hosted a future forum where we debated um, Topics like growth, how to finance industry via the stock market. Uh, we also invited historians to discuss, to take a look back and also take a look forward. So, um, yeah, we did um, several city tours in Vienna during the summer. And, uh, yeah, we, we celebrated, of course, the, the 250th anniversary on the 2nd of uh, September with a small uh, live event also at the Vienna Stock Exchange. So there was it was a mix of digital events, uh, live events, panel discussions, hybrid events. Um, yeah, we, we tried to, to use uh, the, the possibilities that, that we have nowadays to, uh, to leverage this anniversary. <laughs> I'm curious, um, last year when we had this, uh, my opinion, huge crash where I thought uh, the world is ending and the uh, capital market is dead, in March 2020, it was a very quick reversal. How was the year for the Vienna Stock Exchange uh, in numbers? Did you see uh, also an acceleration in activity or did you see in Vienna, um, let's say, a little bit of uh, pandemic silence? 
stock market wise, the Austrian stock market. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this year was, um, yeah, the Austrian stock market more than picked up, more than compensated for the losses uh, of last year. So it is among the high flyers, the global high flyers this year. Um, with a performance of roughly 40% in the in the Austrian uh, national index ATX, so um, that's that's quite a bit. That's quite a performance. That's uh, good. That's good. Yeah. So it it compensated for the losses of last year, and of course the so the the composition of the Austrian national index is quite cyclical. So whenever the like the, the economic growth is picking up, uh, also the the Austrian stocks rally. Um, because of the composition, banks and um, indus, uh, industrial stocks, they, they perform always well in, in these kind of economic cycles. Um, when I look at the US market, uh, I think uh, I read about IPOs uh, several times a day. So it, it felt like that in this year. Uh, do you see or did you see a similar tendency here in Europe and in Austria? So in Austria, we had the most active year in the in our junior market, uh, which focuses on SMEs. So we, mm. we saw eight listings on the Vienna MTF. And we also had quite a surge, a record year for bond listings. And we're confident to also see bigger listings maybe next year. So let's see. The pipeline is um, filling up. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. It would be good to hear. What's going on in uh, on the stock market in the life science industry? What are, Which companies are there? So one of the most prominent new additions was was MarinoMed. Biotech, we also talked about it uh, last year. They went public in 2019. Mm. And also this year, they were awarded with uh, the FESE uh, and the European Issuers uh, Small and Mid-Cap Award. They were runner-up in the category Star of Innovation, um, which is quite some quite some recognition. And I think uh, it's it's still a blueprint for other biotech and life science companies uh, in that sense that they, um, they they went through interesting stages to finance their company from, from public um, subsidies, investments of AWS Mittelstandsfonds towards a um, convertible bond and then finally a listing and then uh, partial exits. So I think this is, um, this is what other companies could also Try to um, try to achieve, yeah. Austrian companies. Um, I'm pretty much focused on pharma and life science, and um, so my world exists of uh, this uh, one industry basically. Mm -hmm. uh, which other industries are on the Austrian stock market? Can you give us more insights? What's going on here? So the main the main composition the main composition of the mm -hmm. of the austrian uh, leading index is basically financials basic industries industrial goods and services services utilities a bit of tele telecom and uh, technology and uh, only a small portion of consumer products so that's basically the sector classification in the austrian leading index but uh, of course uh, the, there's uh, the door is always open uh, for other industries to join and uh, yeah, there's a lot of activity in the life science uh, field. We would love to see more life science stocks on the Vienna Stock mm. Exchange too. And I think investors would also appreciate that. Yeah. Which I'm curious, I mean, you are in uh, in touch with many investors uh, from all over the world and uh, many companies. What trends do you see in your daily work that are uh, ongoing currently? What trends do we see? So... We're a neutral platform, so we cannot give any tips, but uh, definitely a topic that is um, that is 
brought up by both investors and companies is ESG. So mm-hmm. um, many, many players are dealing more intensively with um, environmental, social, and governance issues. So that's definitely a trend. And also maybe investor from the investor side, the, the trend towards passive investments is also increasing. So that means ETFs are gaining importance. That is a trend that we have seen. It's also relevant in Austria, I, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one question out of interest is uh, when I look at, um, if I remember it right, maybe Matthias can help me a little bit. Um, but I read that uh, some banks are starting or thinking about giving uh, access uh, to digital assets for their clients via their traditional bank accounts. Um, when I look at uh, the stock markets, uh, what trends or what, what developments could you envision that uh, are happening or already are ongoing that we are not aware of that uh, makes sense to discuss probably for the market in digital assets regulation wise mm-hmm. um so i think this topic has two dimensions the crypto speculation trend and then the technology that is mm-hmm. that is um this trend is based on and i think um as a stock exchange, we 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 think uh, so. So stock exchanges have always been in the avant-garde of any technology that has been used on the market, um, and we have we are also using a very very modern, very fast trading system that is currently the, the best we can imagine for for our investors and our companies. And uh, if there is en- ever any co- other technology that is coming up, that uh, then we would, of course, use it. I think the technology is not so much the issue as is regulation. Hmm. So that's the bigger question mark is regulation in this area. And, uh, and the value that stock exchange is bringing to the market, both companies and investors, is, is, is transparency. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. Astrid, Matthias, how do you see it? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Moving is right up there with death and divorce in the Stress Olympics. But fear not. Turn that box of woes into a crate of woes with moving tips in the Life Beyond Boxes podcast with Premium Q Moving. Dive into the world of hassle-free moves, learn tips and tricks to save on cash and your sanity. Say goodbye to those moving meltdowns and hello to the smooth sailings. Or should we say smooth movings? Tune into Life Beyond Boxes with Premium Q Moving on lifebeyondboxes.com or find us on your favorite podcast platform. And with us, unpack the secrets to a stress-free move. Yeah, I mean, uh, in, in, in general, uh, I think regulation is a good thing, you know. I mean, it's also a topic that moves us a lot in a cryptocurrency market or digital asset market. And my standing has always been, you know, um, we see regulation also as a positive thing and it's good to set certain standards to protect consumers. But especially when it goes to sort of new digital innovations, it's also quite important to always be sort of in touch with technology leaders in this space to really fully understand the potential of the technology, how it could be used, what kind of business models could come out of it and not to over-regulate it. So that we end up with a whole over-regulation of uh, technology as such. And that does not only go for cryptocurrencies, but basically everything out there, like AI and everything, yeah. Just think to add there, um, this year was also important in terms of regulation 
uh, when it comes to cryptocurrency in Austria. So there has been um, a change also in, in reporting requirements in terms of like uh, gains of, uh, of trading and other assets um, in crypto. So there's a lot of clarity now, but there has been also a lot of debate about um, uh, if if that is in the right time and if this is as properly has been properly uh, undertaken. So there's at least um, uh, some clarity getting there. I still see the the, the um, stock market um, as such um, as um, a little bit underrepresented. If you look at it, how it is in the US, where you can where you would go on um, public uh, much more uh, likely than in than, uh, startups and, and bigger companies do in Austria. At the same time, uh, on the crypto side, we see a lot of um, our market homogenization of the purpose regulation happening. So there has been the market to crypto assets um, European Union um, report and, and, and um, aspects um, uh, being started so that, uh, that we see in the next years for sure some homogenization also in terms of taxonomy of cryptocurrency. So it's not always very clear um, how these new asset types and, and um, asset forms are uh, or can be even compared to traditional financial instruments. So I'm personally very happy to see some movement there because there's a lot of uh, Lot of struggles also startups and, and uh, upcoming um, um, companies uh, have to uh, struggle with. So I see that a lot of uh, new um, inventions and, and, and innovation is not easy to get started in Austria. So this is one point that is definitely, or in Europe for that matter. So we see a lot of uh, projects moving to, to outside Europe. So I would love to see like more returning or like staying, uh, having the opportunity and possibility also to, to uh, remain in the European Union. We have also. seen unicorns in this field uh, in Austria, yeah. haven't we? Yeah, also, yeah, true. Which, which ones? Which ones? Bitpanda. Yeah. Bitpanda. yeah. <laughs> no, it would be good to stay. Julia, Julia, have, uh, do you want to, do you have a final remark from the Austrian stock market uh, in regards to the upcoming year? So we have seen a great year. Uh, of course, uh, not every year uh, for for the investors is like uh, like 2021. It was the best birthday present that investors could have given the stock exchange operator a year like that uh, in the in the Aust in the Austrian uh, traded index, uh, including dividends. We we had an all time high. So to to have that in a anniversary year, that's great. But of course, for investors, it's important to look long term to to see the chances on the on the stock markets and the average returns of six to eight uh, percent that that generally markets can achieve. So so this is something to to take with you if you're listening today. Take a look at the stock market in general and have a, a long a lifetime savings plan, something like that. That would be great. That's great advice. I couldn't agree more. Julia, I wish you, your family and the great team at the Austrian Stock Exchange all the best for 2022 and a Merry Christmas. Same to you. Same to all of you. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Greetings. Bye. Astrid, Matthias, which topic is next on our list? That's a very good question because there are so many topics. I started to structure them. Big, big one. Big one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we have, um, I mean, I guess we have been speaking about um, a lot of things, also tried to contextualize it a little bit with the, with the speakers. So we have been talking until now about, um, and this is, an un, this is a little bit not in the right order, but we have been talking about ransomware, cybersecurity incidents, we've been talking about Web2 and how the Web3 emerges, we've been talking about the future of research in 2021 and beyond. So we have been briefly hinting at the biotech and healthcare bubble, 
and we have heard that it might not be a bubble, but it's sustaining. Um, it's more of a, a less of a bubble than a, than a sustaining trend. Um, we've talked about um, Horizon Europe, and um, which is a set of the program of Horizon 2020 in Europe. We have also talked a little bit about artificial intelligence and machine learning in healthcare and the benefits. We have briefly touched on data science. Um, we've also talked about resource scarcity in the times of crisis and how it affects the individual people that have been uh, um, giving their input here in this podcast. We've been talking about supply chain shortage, talent shortage, the great resignation briefly. We've been talking about financial literacy only briefly. I guess this would be a topic we could now speak a little bit more about. Uh, we have been um, touching also health literacy. One topic that I wanted to uh, thematize, which is maybe not so much in the context of uh, financial literacy, but it's definitely also affecting the market, is the right to repair. So we saw a few uh, elements and um, that are still um, from the year before, still very active, at least in the European Union. Um, there's a few new um, um, trends and, 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 and uh, things that play um, to that affect con uh, end consumers of technological um, devices. So personally, I've um, um, realized that um, I also fell into one of these traps, which is, for example, um, there's a new um, um, there's a new uh, sign that um, is been put on on end uh, consumer devices such as uh, such as uh, fridges and uh, home appliances. Which are, for example, um, trying to um, make it like easier to understand like what is the um, yearly um, uh, um, what what is the yearly um, uh, uh, power usage of, of that devices is very confusing. So personally, I had to <laughs> to buy some appliances, and I was like shocked on how how intransparent this is. And then in the end, also how this doesn't really boil down to a to a um, actual unit price. So the problem is that. Um, the question is, unless um, the prices for for electricity are not um, rising substantially, um, it's, in my opinion, better to look at um, long-lasting um, um, devices than to look at these specific ratings, like the energy certificates, which are like very, very differently um, uh, utilized. It's very confusing for end consumers. But one important um, aspect that I wanted to point out is the right to repair. So we saw um, a lot of... Um, um, Different startups and approaches in uh, making um, technology repairable to end consumers. The only uh, really big tech uh, giant that was against this was Apple. So they had like a big mm -hmm. stance on why this shouldn't be possible and why um, they would need to be a registered service expert to to be able to offer the services. Um, recently, they have also changed uh, in this regard and offered a, a self-service repair program, which is set to be rolled out in 2022-30. This also is a big potential market also for Europe, especially because we see um, projects such as Fairphone and other projects in this regard where they are really tackling this repair market as an actual funnel or, or there's a key opportunity in end users um, repairing their devices. I think it's also a thing that comes with the pandemic because people are sitting at home and they can watch all sorts of like repair uh, things on YouTube and they can learn on how to... to uh, so this is also in this, in this literacy uh, trend that we are here bringing up. So there's all sorts of literacy uh, um, or literacy that people um, um, should have these days. So there's like financial literacy, health literacy, um, digital yeah. work literacy, all sorts of <laughs> literacy. But it's great that, you know, you have the opportunity these days to really go online and search for these things because I remember also a few years ago, well, a few years ago, okay, eight years ago, I had an issue with my Mac laptop and at that time it was still possible to actually open up the thing and then really, you know, exchange parts and play around with it. And so... And these days it's just not possible anymore. So really, a sort of uh, 
forced to go into a shop because otherwise you will also lose all warranty and whatever on it. And it's, 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 it's a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah. This is not only a huge problem. I think also at the same time, um, people want to be able to understand the technology around them anymore. Sure. To get more and more technological mm. as a society, um, these things, um, are scary. Even to mm. me, and I'm, I would consider myself being an enthusiast and an expert. I'm working a lot with hardware as well. I'm working with a lot of projects that are, um, utilizing technology more differently, like for research purposes or for, for purposes of, 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 um, um, producing, uh, projects that are, uh, targeted towards citizen science. So you start to think about standards. You start to think about, um, what type of things do work. Also, if you roll it out in a product. Um, biggest issue that, that I, um, experienced this year was, um, the NFC standards. So we had, um, a few projects that have been, um, working with, um, the future of the, um, supply chain and blockchain. Mm-hmm. And that's the term of digital twins or like, um, how can you actually make sure that a specific product is unique and, uh, and, the, and the like, the huge topic that, um, is in my opinion also important outside of the blockchain sphere. It could actually help, uh, making uh, supply chain uh, more uh, efficient, but also like more um, um, less error prone, so to say. And um, in a way, I see here a lot of like uh, problems, especially because um, Apple didn't implement, for example, and these are these are like things from from a product perspective which you um, observe. Um, for example, it's not easy to utilize NFC um, um, on uh, on iPhones because um, they're implementing the standards differently than exposing all the necessary um uh, standards that you would use uh, or want to use so it's like um there's also a, a pending lawsuit i guess like um for um, developers in germany they can utilize already the full scope um i, I will actually substantiate the, the things that i'm telling here later in a, in a blog post mm-hmm. or so so you can so you can directly click through um essentially there's um a lot of um uh, confusion also in different standards and uh, i guess um in understanding the technology around us because looking at um, what happens here is that we see also the tech giants um, understanding that hardware can, for example, also um, be uh, fostering um, a lot of like um, like like um, customer um, um, loyalty for larger products. Yeah. A good example is, for sure. example, um, the Google Pixel rollout this year. This was maybe also one of these larger uh, product releases that a lot of people were eyeing at because we had this kind of um, yeah, very, very few, um, uh, tech giants dominating the, the mobile sector. And, uh, uh, Google itself uh, was, uh, essentially developing Android, but didn't really have the proper hardware that would be considered like enthusiast or, or like, um, high tech, um, stage. So they, um, released, um, phones, which are, um, which they put a lot of, um, research and development funds into, I guess. And, um, that's so this, uh, the whole industry was a little bit eyeing on this and especially developers were super excited about, um, what that would mean in terms of like improving um, end consumer um, uh, quality in terms of like um, taking pictures, but also in the uh, what you can develop for those devices. We've seen also that the um, supply chain shortage, of course, was still in play here because there's a lot of like pre-orders still for the largest editions of these phones. And um, we see also how Google cannot solve all industry problems because there has been a lot of debate about the, the biometric features of the phone and there has been a lot of other things. I mentioned it's very interesting to see though that um i guess um it becomes very important that these devices uh, play all the fit uh, all the all the tunes so to say so we 
see also the rise of um, of, uh, of a culture of, of influencers. So influencers become more and more important. Also, again, uh, putting this back to, in context with uh, a topic we have discussed before. So there has been the, the Twitch leak, which is also an interesting leak in terms of data. Mm. So you see how much um, influencers are making, how much money is actually in the content marketing sector, but also in the influencer sector. So I guess a lot of, lot of topics we could talk about and we will be talking about still. No, but I think also, you know, around the content marketing, what I was thinking, because we also said, you know, all the data that we have floating around and, you know, how it's been used and how we're all sort of sort of directed towards all these kind of infrastructures is really that there is sort of, um, it's great also for companies that they can sort of build their social graphs with all this data, you know, and see, you know, uh, where whereabouts is, who we're interacting with, what, what we like, what we don't like, and all of that. And really being profiled but on the other hand there's also a huge risk to giving away all the data and making ourselves so transparent so i also try to need to be honest <laughs> to minimize social media exposure to the absolute minimum that is necessary from a professional level um, but i think on a private level i've actually just uh yeah stopped with all of that because it's just as you also highlighted there's so much uh it is like potential for social engineering and the more we get digital and it's very clear, the more the higher the risk the risk and it's easier to leak this data if there aren't any uh, proper security uh, mechanisms in place. I mean, it seems to be the theme of the podcast today <laughs> here in review, but I think really if you think about digitalization, you have to overemphasize this, this uh, issue of uh, security in a long way, yeah. So um, actually, security or like uh, marketing is also a big thing in, in malware. I have just posted here also ransomware to service, which I find uh, oh one dear. of the most extreme. Oh dear. <laughs> they have like um, there's like marketing campaigns for for um, ransomware infrastructure. So this is this is, has been also like in the in the news um, all over the place, and I guess you have also uh, read about this. So there has been a major uh, crackdown and major takedown of a few large um, of these op operators that were operating ransomware um, infrastructure. Um, so this is, this is um, and I have to uh, uh, stress this, uh, this fact um, a lot because I was actually shocked um, while we have been discussing and researching a little bit of the, of the details and effects and figures, it's, uh, it's insane in the numbers. So I guess this will be also following us in 2022. And I guess it will be still a topic. Uh, I hope it will not affect us so much as it, as it already did this year. So it will be interesting to see how this evolves. Um, there is already um, a few reports out there which explain the, the, the market size of ransomware, the market where ransomware is service. I think it's an interesting topic, but we don't have to speak only about security topics because the guests have been very dominant already. In our <laughs> yeah, I can bring up new topics with our next speaker. It's uh, Peter Levelin Davis. And he is 